Amen. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Three of you are great. The rest of you will just kind of hopefully... Uh, oh, it's so good to be here. It's a, I don't know about you. I always enjoy this, this time of the summer. I love when it's a little bit milder than it. Those uh, early 90s got me a little nervous, but I'm very glad that uh, it's moderated a little bit. And uh, So I'm just excited. Uh, as Josh was saying, Pastor Dave asked me to uh, kick off this new series on the questions Jesus asked. And so uh, as we get ready to start, the title for today is Who Am I and Why Am I Here? First of all, if you don't know me, I am Jeff Meeker. I am a a traveling minister that is based out of the church here, but I go and minister at other churches around the the state. I've been in ministry for years. My wife and I uh, have been married coming up on 33 years next month. And so, and I'm excited to have my son and daughter-in-law and their lovely three children back with us for this week. And so, just have to get that in while before I get started. All right. Uh, who am I? Why am I here? It's great questions to ask, right? You know, it kind of gives you, as you're trying to get to know somebody, you ask them who they are, what do they do. You know, have you ever noticed when somebody says, who are you? We talk about careers. We just talk about other information. But does that really tell us who people are? It's good questions maybe when you're trying to ask, you know, you're going in for a job interview. Well, who are you? How did you get here? What's your education, right? Um, It gives us maybe a little bit of a glimpse into what somebody's personal vision for life might be. Those two simple questions, who am I, why am I here, regrettably, these were the first words that an individual was who was an incredible Navy officer, tends to only be known for those two questions. And those, the ans- the, starting the conversation with those two questions caused him to be lampooned and actually quite made fun of for, by uh, late night talk shows, even in the press. This individual served in the Navy from 1946 to 1979. He rose to the rank of vice admiral. He spent seven years as a POW serving during the Vietnam War. He endured years of torture and even wore the scars from that torture the rest of his life. He was a Medal of Honor recipient. Unfortunately, this night, he had not been prepared for that speech. He was only told of it a few days before he was standing in front of camera crews to be grilled for the next couple hours between two career politicians as he was standing as a representative for the Independent Party, year 1992, the two people he stood between was Dan Quayle and Al Gore, Vice Admiral William Stockdale, or James Stockdale, excuse me. I'm not saying he would have been a great vice president. I don't know that. The the unfortunate thing is he became the the, uh, recipient of a lot of ridiculous tomfoolery after that debate. But you know, you look at that, we didn't even get a glimpse of who that man was. And as I remember all the the jokes, all jokes aside, you start realizing this man loved his country and he served 
and paid an incredible price. Who was he? He was a whole lot more than what we got represented on that stage that night. Anybody remember Rudyard Kipling? Any fans? Anybody? A few people? Okay. He once wrote a poem, and it said, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. I send them over land and sea. I send them east and west. But after they have worked for me, I give them all a rest. I let them rest from nine till five, for I am busy then, as well as breakfast, lunch, and tea, for they are hungry men. But there are different folk which have different views. I know a person small. She keeps 10 million serving men who get no rest at all. She sends them abroad on her own affairs. From the second she opens her eyes, one million hows, two million wares, and seven million whys. Have you ever noticed how children are inquisitive? They ask questions. They, are, they don't realize it, but they're learning. And they just want to know, well, who's this? What's that about? Why? Anybody get tired sometimes of the whys? But, you know, we, we look at things. Questions set us up to evaluate. Why, what do we know? What do we understand? Teachers are great about asking us questions. You get exams of questions to find out what do you know. Questions are often used as the building blocks of learning and education, but they also are helping us to learn and to develop and to use that information that we know. Questions also help us reflect on our past decisions. Have you ever been honest and you've gone back and you start looking and you ask yourself, why did I do that? How did I get here? Should I have made that decision? They, they help us to form our goals, our purposes. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Where do I find meaning in my life? How can I become better? When, who will I associate to help me get to the goals that I have? You know, when you think about this poem, the child is eager to learn, eager to ask questions. But sometimes we get set in our ways. We, we forget to keep that wonder of asking, to finding out more about who God is. What does he have for us? Jesus had said that in, in Mark 10 that let, he, he was out ministering and children were coming to him and the disciples were trying to keep him away from him. And he says, let them come to me. Don't forbid them. He says, I, I tell you, for such is the kingdom of heaven. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will not by any means enter it. I wonder sometimes if we miss that childlike faith that we started our relationship with God, that we get so busy that we don't stop to, to ask the simple questions. Are we... As Peter said, are we like newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word? The things that satisfy, the things that give us life, the things that tell us about who Jesus is. So that we can grow. Or 
Are we being imitators of God as dear children? You ever had a child that imitates you? That you find yourself, you stand a certain way and you look behind you and here's your little kid, your grandkid, whoever, standing, folding their arms the same way, leaning the same way. Even when they are talking, you might not even be able to understand the words, but they're saying it in the same inflection that you say things. They're imitating us. That's how they're learning. Are we looking and asking and becoming like Christ? Like a child? Allowing him to, to cause us to be somebody that he has designed for us? Matthew 16 is going to be where we're going to base today's question out of. In verse, starting with verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He was trying to find out, Well, what are you hearing? What are you listening to? What are people in the street saying? It's interesting that they said that some say John the Baptist. Do you know who said that he thought it was John the Baptist? It was King Herod. He was, it says that in, a, in Mark chapter 6 that he was questioning. He was fearful because he sounded like John the Baptist. And what he was hearing about Jesus and the authority he was preaching in, maybe John the Baptist has risen from the dead, the one that I killed. The king thought, Jesus could be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. His advisors were saying, it could be Elijah. It could be one of the other prophets. What's interesting is they thought, because there was a prophecy in the book of Malachi that said that, that the, the, the Elijah the prophet would be sent in, in before the coming and dreadful day of the Lord. But what's interesting is they missed that the fact Jesus himself told his disciples that Elijah had, already, had come already, and they didn't know him. They weren't recognizing him. And it says uh, in Matthew 7, 13, that the disciples understood that he was speaking about John the Baptist. He wasn't Elijah. No, John the Baptist came to prepare the way. Others referred to him as a good teacher, a rabbi. We hear the story about Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night. And he's like, good teacher, we know, you're, you know that you must be from God because you can't do these good things if, you, if God wasn't with you. They called him a rabbi. You know, a lot of people, we hear a lot of people say a lot of things about who Jesus is. Some say, well, he was a good teacher. He was a, a good prophet. One time, the disciples thought he was a ghost. They were encountering a storm. Have you ever in a storm thought you saw something that you didn't? Or things looked distorted? Here they are. They're out in the boat. Jesus has sent them to, the, to go to the other side. I love in, in uh, one passage said he would have passed them by, but they called out to him. They thought he was a ghost. Well, he was flesh and blood. He wasn't just a ghost. But it messed with their minds. Who is this person? He's nothing that we've ever experienced before. 
But what is interesting is in Matthew 14 and verse 27, he he made this comment. He, He said, he instantly spoke to them saying, take courage. If you read this in certain translations, he says, it's not it is I. He says, I am. He didn't just say, well, it's just me, guys. He's saying, God is here. I am. Get a glimpse of that. They're thinking ghost. He's saying, no, I'm the creator of everything. This storm holds nothing. I am. This is how the Lord told Moses when he was to go and present himself to, before Pharaoh and to, to the children of Israel. He says, present to them that I am, that I am has sent you. This is what Jesus said. I am here. I am here in the midst of your storm. Don't worry. How many storms have we allowed to distort our view of who Christ is? Or, or maybe just life in general, people have said things, and we've gotten this twisted view of what Jesus, who Jesus is, what does he want. Sometimes we're so concerned about trying to, to just do all the things that we think Jesus wants us to do that we miss who Jesus is. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't excuse me, accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is, was merely a man and said that sort of things Jesus would not be a great moral teacher. If he claimed to be, if, if we're saying he's just a great moral teacher, what he said doesn't make sense. It says that he would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. And you can fall, or you could fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any other patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is, for those of you that ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is the same person challenging us to not just th- receive the, the idea of, well, he was a good teacher. Either he was the son of God or he's, he's a madman. But what's interesting, he asked the disciples who people were saying, and so then back in Matthew 16, verse 15, he said, but who do you say that I am? That's our question today. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? Is he who he claimed to be? Or do we just only want him to be Savior and we just put him in the little Savior box so that a get out of hell free card 
You know, like Monopoly, get out of jail free. We got the other one. Jesus is my get out of hell free card. Is that all we have him for? Or is he so much more than that? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. If he's the son of the living God, he has all the attributes of the father in him. He's so much more than just simply our savior. The question for today is, who do we say that he is? Just the fact that his name was, he was to be called Jesus. That name means the Lord saves. From the moment he is born and people say his name Jesus, they were proclaiming the Lord saves. The fact that then Peter says that he is the Messiah, or he says that he's the Christ, he's he's the anointed one. He is the one that's come to restore what happened because of sin. But do we look at him fully as he is the great I am? When you realize that God wants us to see him every day, everything that we encounter, he wants to be present. He wants his power flowing through us. He wants us to be representing him to everywhere we go. To be the great Emmanuel, God with us. Remember that was what they said, that, that his name will be called Emmanuel. Was what the angel told Mary to name Jesus. That he's Jehovah. Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent one, never changing, never failing, always faithful. That he is Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. That he's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. How much more is there to the, of who Jesus is beyond just being our Savior? When Jesus was talking with his disciples, he even said, I am the bread of life. And he talked about <clears throat> that the manna that had come down from heaven that sustained the children of Israel and he says that that was the gift, the bread of God. And he said, well, Lord, give us this bread. To, to which Jesus responded in John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He, is so, he fulfills all the needs that we have. He helps us to begin to receive the nourishment God has for us to sustain us for what he's called us to do. So we can't be so consumed with chasing after the, the end product without going and knowing Jesus. He is the one that sustains. He is the one that gives us that strength we need. In Matthew 5, 6, he told us that, are, are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? You, you can be filled Are we 
going to him, seeking for the guidance that he has? Are we tasting, are we seeing that the Lord is good? That he has so much to give us in life, life abundantly. Not just, just getting by in life. He wants us to have purpose. He wants us to have meaning. He wants us to go with joy, with peace. All those things that he is, he wants it existing in you and I. So that when people see us, they can say, they have been with Jesus. Because they look, they act, they speak like Jesus. Do you ever look in the mirror and say, I see Jesus? Some of us go, oh, I need to clean that mirror. <laughs> but just, people should be able to look at us and begin to see a glimpse of who Jesus is, that he loves them, that he cares for them. There was a song several years ago that Steve Camp had put out, but, and he said, uh, don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. How much is, are those things flowing through us? Sometimes we want people to change how they're living when they don't even know who Jesus is. It's not about changing legislation. It's not about changing government. It's about changing our view of people and seeing them the way Jesus did when he was on the cross and he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Loving not waiting for them to change. Let's begin loving them when they're in the street and helping to love them into the kingdom of God. Jesus said that he was the light of the world. And then he said that we are the light of the world. The city set on a hill should not be hidden. How many of you have ever tried to turn on the lights when your electricity was off? Come on, we've all done it. You sit there and you're like, you go in from one room, you're like, I gotta go find candles. You walk into that room, oh yeah, I'm coming here to get candles because there's no electricity. But how often do people run looking for guidance, looking for spiritual something when they're lost and they're in the darkness? Or they find themselves just being busy because they can't sit still because if I'm still I have to deal with the darkness of my thoughts, the darkness of my past, the darkness of my failures. And yet Jesus is saying, I want to bring light and show you life as I've designed for it. Not to be hidden, not to be hidden in, a, in the darkness, a prisoner of what you used to be. I'm coming to give you life and light so that you can live with purpose. In John 8, 12, he said that I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When you come in, do people feel different in a good way? <laughs> Sometimes people walk in and we're like, oh, great, here they are. No, but when you walk in, do you bring light? Do you change the atmosphere to bring life? Or do we just talk evil and talk politics and get into arguments that are meaningless? I'm not saying you can't be political. That's not what this is about. 
do you bring life that people are like, I am so glad you're here. You walk in and you just cause everybody else to be filled with joy, that there's a peace about you. It's almost as if the lights have come in because you've walked into the room. I have a buddy of mine. His name's Keith. He walks all over the world carrying the cross. And actually, he just got back not long ago from being over um, in the war, <laughs> carrying the cross and taking it to the refugees and loving them in the name of Jesus. But this guy, he walks into a room. It's as if Jesus himself has walked in the room. He is so full of love, so full of light, so full of compassion. I've never seen anybody that will ever get into an argument with Keith because he just lives that light through his life. Are we allowing him to light us when we're sitting in those periods of darkness? Do we allow him to come and to invade our thought life, to bring hope instead of despair? Have you ever been woke up in the middle of the night with your mind all being attacked? All you can think of is every bad thought or every, it's a, you know, what was that? You hear sounds, somebody's breaking into my house. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in the middle of the night, right? Or you, but what happens when we begin to invite this, the Lord in, that he, to bring his light, that we ask him to give us peace, so that when we're in t times where it could be heavy, he's bringing us life and he's bringing us the light so we know and we can close our eyes again and, and go to sleep. I know there have been times I've woke up knowing that it was something that the enemy was just stirring up inside, trying to get me to lose sleep. I start praying. I start worshiping God, praying in the spirit. Boy, it's amazing how fast I go back to sleep again because it shuts the voice of the enemy. It shuts down the, it exposes the lie of the accuser. When we go into the Lord's presence, the light outshines the darkness. Let us be that person accepting that he is the light. Like in Psalms 119, where he says that you are a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. Sometimes all we're going to see being with Jesus is one step. Take the step. You might not see the entire distance. I, I don't know. Have you, has anybody hiked in the mountains before? Anybody? A few of you? How many paths are perfectly straight? Okay. I, at least I know I'm not, I'm not the only one that's found crooked paths in the mountains. No, you get out and you're hiking you need, if it, you're out there and it's dark, you want a lamp, and you're not looking down far. You're trying to make sure I'm staying on a path. I don't want to go off the crevice. I don't want to fall into a gorge. I don't want to trip over something that will send me careening down the mountain. You want to be assured of the next step. And even in daylight, what do you do? You're constantly looking at the path so you don't misstep and fall into trouble. That's what he wants to be for us, is that guiding step by step so that we get to where he's designed for us to get safely. 
that we get into that presence and then he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In John 10, he also told us that he's the good shepherd. You know, shepherds are so amazing. We, we of course, um, know of Psalms 23, that the good shepherd, the shepherd, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though we go through a valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because you're with me. But a shepherd guides. He also helps rescue us out of trouble. John 10.10 10 says, says it to us this way, that the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly because I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And he says, but a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not know uh, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. Do we know him as a shepherd? Sometimes people are like, well, if I follow, get, get too close, God's going to send me someplace I don't want to go. I can't promise you he's not going to call you someplace, but he's going to prepare you. And it's going to become something you can't help but want to do those things. It's going to be that, a calling of God and anointing that you can't, if you don't do it, you're going to be miserable. That's just the way it is. Let's go back a few years. I didn't ever want to be in this spot right here. Honest truth. I grew up, my dad was a preacher. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I was going to go to school to become a doctor. That never happened. I was in college one week, changed my major, changed my course. I, I still at times get a little nervous before I speak. It's just what happens. You're standing in front of people. People look at you. Sometimes they fall asleep. Sometimes they make funny faces at you. Thankfully, nobody's thrown too much at me, and so that's good. But you know, there are times that we do, th God will cause us to step out and to do things, and it just becomes what we know to do. And he got, it will guide our steps. He's opened doors, and, it, and it was, all I can say is, it was the Lord. The good shepherd. He'll lead us through. He's also, Jesus said that he was the resurrection and the life. There might be some things that seems like life has, for lack of a better word, it seems dead. Life seems like, I, I don't know, I, I think I'm doing okay, but why is things so troubling? I thought, I don't know about you, I remember growing up that people were like, if you accept the Lord, all your problems will be taken care of. How many of you know we live in troubling times? But Jesus is bigger than the troubles. He promises to go through the troubles with us. He was with the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He's the one that shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was in the lion's den. He's the one that brought the people through the midst of the Red Sea. They went through troubles 
but the Lord took them through the trouble. He doesn't ask us to go someplace that he's not going there with us. When it seems dark, when it seems tough, when it seems like all else is, when hope is fading fast, he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. You, you look at in John 11 when his friend Lazarus has died and he comes and they were like, if you just would have come here sooner, he'd still be alive. How many of us have had that? view sometimes. If Jesus had only just answered this prayer differently, I'd still have purpose. I'd still have hope. But Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she's like, well, yeah, I know at the end. And he looked at her and said, no, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. When we begin to trust in him, life comes into us. That we can look beyond the trouble. Even if, we are, if the trouble takes our life, our lives go on because we have purpose with the Lord. Are we allowing him, the, the resurrection power of God to flow through us? If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it says he quickens our mortal bodies. Are we living resurrected? Are we still clinging on to what we were before we came to Christ? Are we still pulling the body <laughs> in the, the casket behind us of our, our former life before Christ. Bury it. Let it die. Allow the resurrection power in us to equip us for what is needed today. There's a lot of people walking around as dead people. They don't have any hope. They don't know that Christ can save them from their sins. They don't realize the price was already paid. We need to allow that resurrection power to give them hope. But Jesus made one more claim that in John 14, verse 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how, how will we, can we know the, which way? And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way. Who do we say Jesus is? He's the way. There was actually a big movement back in the 70s. The way. <laughs> Based off of this scripture. Of, of these hippies that had come to know Christ. <laughs> they were wanting to know the way. And they found it through Christ. How many people are struggling because
because they don't know where they're going. A lot of people live in the... How's it going? Oh, good. How's the weather? Fine. That's their mentality of life because they can't see anything beyond the immediacy of of just what's happening today. They don't know how much more God wants in their life. He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you will know him and have seen him because you've seen me. He is the, he's the doorway that gets us into to, to know who the Father is. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? There's so much that Jesus wants to reveal of who he is to us and through us. Do we know him? When the Spirit speaks to us, do we recognize that voice? It only comes from spending time in in the presence. You know, the other night when the three littles came into our house, I heard the voices, and I didn't have to ask, well, I wonder if those are my grandkids. I heard the voices I knew. Those are my littles. They're here. The whole weekend has begun. But how about when we hear the voice of God? Does something excite us again? I don't know about you. When I accepted Christ, I was excited. Life began. I was born again. I had purpose. I had hope. I had a future. Each day, I wake up real, and I have to remind myself, it's a new day. I'm born again. I have Jesus, his resurrection power through the Holy Spirit is residing in me. What is he, what am I birthed for for today? What is he wanting to to bring into other people's lives today because of what he's done in me? I'm going to wind up on this last point here. Jesus also said that he is the true vine we plug into him, life flows through us. It flows into us so that we can live, but others that come around us, they can partake of our life and receive that same nourishment into them. He says in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it bears more fruit. You are already clean because of the the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Without him, we're lost. Without him, there's no hope of salvation. 
but with him there is forgiveness there is hope there is life there is healing there is joy there is peace there's all the fruit of the spirit living in us nourishing us and flowing through us so other people can partake of the things that God has for them we should be walking fruit stands love joy peace patience long suffering all those things flowing through us that when people are needing those things, they say, I need to talk to them because they have joy, they have peace, they have love. Let's be the farmer's market for the, those that are lost. Let's be the ones that are bringing hope. Let's be the ones that's bringing the presence of the risen Lord. That we are resurrected with that power that raised Christ from the dead, it's dwelling in us. So the question again is, who do you say Jesus is? Who is he for you? For me, I could go on for more time, than, but I'm not going to. But there's so much. But who is Jesus to you?